Interesting in our day and age when folks are more intent on Black Friday rather than the Thursday leading up to Black Friday. Today, we'll emphasize Thursday, today, instead of tomorrow. Happy Thanksgiving from all of us at Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. From Pastor Phil Howard, his wife Caroline, and all of us here at Truth For Today in Valley Bible Church in Hercules, happy Thanksgiving. Welcome to our program. Today we want to spend some time in God's Word looking at the many, many reasons we have to be thankful. And indeed, the Bible is full, isn't it? Of all the people on this planet, you and I as believers in Christ have the most to be thankful for no matter the circumstances. That's what we look at today. Join us, won't you, for a very encouraging look at thankfulness. With today's program, Pastor Phil Howard. I thought in light of uh, what you're going to be doing Thursday, maybe not to talk to you about giving, but about you giving thanks. I want to read two passages before I go to the one I really want to focus on a bit. Look at Psalms 100 something that was written for us famous psalm but listen to what God tells his people and what he wants his people to do when they gather together could you imagine when you decide to complain all of you come together he never says that listen shout for joy to the Lord all the earth worship the Lord with gladness come before him with joyful songs Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. And we are his. We are his people. The sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. And his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. This alone would radical radically change your church life if you showed up and just obeyed that one verse show up to give thanks show up to give praise show up to just uh shout it out what a great god you have i don't care if the building's a little cold this morning um i don't care about a lot of things i i came on a mission i came corporately god wants to be praised corporately not just individually isolated he wants to hear it resonate he said bring thanksgiving for the lord is good and his love endures forever his faithfulness continues through all generations now turn to second timothy second timothy he gives us the weather forecast of the last days second timothy the church is always to be counterculture Sometimes I hear the question, are we relevant? Are we relevant? Well, not always. Sometimes we're counterculture. When did God say we get our message from the culture? Ever. Did you hear me? Well, I don't depend on uh, the newscast to figure out what I'm going to believe and what I'm going to practice. I don't depend on Hollywood. They set more of what goes on in this country than the Bible. So let's be counterculture and listen to what he tells a young pastor. In his last letter. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Are we in the last days? 
People will be lovers of themselves. I don't know any place in the Bible you're told to fall in love with yourself. The self-image, self-help movement says you've got to learn to love yourself. God never says that. He assumes you do. It's only insanity that would make you not value your own person. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying his power, have nothing to do with them. Now, if you would, turn to Luke, Luke chapter 17. I think the culture, he tells us, will be more and more ungrateful. The culture will be more and more hostile. Not even thankful for one's parents, which is very common today. Not even thankful for one's children, very common today. When he says they're without natural affection, it means they have no love for their kin. No love for kin. Now we go to Luke 17. Christ is on his way to Jerusalem. Urgency is in his step. In some passages, you'll see where he set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem. Why? It's his last visit. He's going to Jerusalem this time to die. And the Luke narrative picks this up. That on his way to Jerusalem, something on the side happened. Verse 11, 17, 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, sometimes called the land of Perea, a whole district. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Second question. Where are the other nine? Third question. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Leprosy, uh, the terrible, terrible disease of Bible times, put a stigma on people so that you had to stand at least 50 yards away from them. They were at the distance. I see Christ over here about 50 yards away. And they start yelling. They've heard about this Messiah. They know he's in town. They know they're unapproachable. They know they have a deathly disease, a terrible stigma. It would be about like having AIDS today. Are they contagious? Could we be around them? 
The stigma was great. Sores all over their body. Maybe far enough to be eating off the members of their body. You see leprosy, they now call it Hansen's disease. You start losing your feelings at the extremities of your body. And you often see lepers with their hands with open sores. Uh, Philip Yancey did a study with uh, David Brand, who was a physician that dealt with Hansen's disease all of his life. So what would happen, the leper would lose sensitivity, so they would do tricks like putting their hand under uh, steaming hot water, put their hands into an open fire to pull the pan off, because they couldn't feel it. But in not being able to feel, they would create open sores. And they would just keep inflicting, lose their toes, all kinds of problems. But they yelled out to this one that is called Redeemer. But the thing they said to him, uh, we hear you have a reputation for pity, for compassion. And this is very interesting. In the whole Greek pantheon, there was not one God among the gods who could have pity. For it was a weakness to show any pity. The gods were against pity. They were against compassion. There was a Gnostic movement under the title of a man that was a stoical movement. It says God has apathia. God has no feeling. Our God cannot be touched by earthly doings. He's above it all. If anything, the gods of the Greek pantheon of this culture were always angry. uh, Can hurl thunderbolts, can bring calamity. But here, here, these men scream out to the loud, as loud as they can get, to one they say, we need pity. We need compassion. And there's no other gods around we hear about that brings compassion See, there's two extremes. Some people make Christ uh, subject to every human emotion and can basically vulgarize him. There's others who say, no, he cannot feel. He doesn't care. The Bible said he was full of compassion. And in all of the emotional life of Jesus, Jesus had sorrow. He had joy. He had anger. The most prominent word to describe his emotional life was pity. And there's two sides to it with Christ. One was the inward emotion he would go through in a gut-wrenching situation. And they call that splachnoi. My spleen. I feel it all the way down to my spleen. Right into my gut. There's an internal agitation about what I'm seeing. But in the case of Christ, he would always exert his power to do something about it. He didn't just go around and give sympathy. He healed. He raised the dead. So there's something in your Savior that he's moved with compassion at the needs of people. But the wonderful thing is, he has the only power that can alleviate their greatest need. And he intervenes. But here is the issue. What kind of response does he get out of people that he helps? What is your gratitude quotient? If you had no need, would you show up in church? If you had no needs, would you show up to just praise God and thank him in prayer? Or do you always have to be against the wall, flat broke, nearly about to die with something, before you ever thank 
take time to say, thank you, God, for who you are. Thanksgiving seems to be a characteristic of all that know God. You know, two things that are a characteristic, thanksgiving and a generous spirit. That is a mark you know God. Now, I want to take us on a little journey and uh, take a look at some of the concepts. Why we give thanks. Why do we give thanks? Look at just Psalms 50, 23. Psalms 50, 20. It's all over the Psalms. We could wear ourselves out just reading all the Psalms this morning. Praise the Lord. Bless his name. Give thanks. Turn to Psalms 50. To give God thanks doesn't mean you make God more glorious. You don't add anything to God but pleasure. Listen to what he says in Psalms 50, verse 23. He who sacrifices thank offerings honors me, and he prepares the way so that I may show him the salvation of God. This is a beautiful statement. Whoever gives God praise, whoever gives him thanks, honors God himself. We make a distinction between thanks and praise, but oftentimes they're used interchangeably so that they're almost the same thing. But if you wanted to make a technical difference, you would say praise is adoration of God's person, adoration of who he is. Thanksgiving is giving thanks for the benefit you receive from him. It's specifically thank you that you supplied. But sometimes I want to thank God just for being God. I want to thank God because I know him to be a compassionate God. I know him to be a good God. I know him to be a God of love. Call it praise. Call it thanks. God says, I inhabit the praises of my people. Bring it on. You can't ever overpraise me. You can't overdo it. Don't ever have a deficit in the thank you department or the praise department. Don't forget didn't you tell him you'd give him the glory when if he gets you out of the mess? And you get out of the mess and you nearly forget what you promise. Always be sure. One of my little preaching things that I put myself through on Sunday mornings, I've got a little chart that I use and I admit my inability to preach. I pray for strength to preach. And I claim a promise before I go in the pulpit. I claim today a 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. And then I always promise to give God the thanks after I get through the day. And the first thing I do when I get home, I take time to start giving God thanks. That you stayed awake, and I did too. Give him thanks. God wants to be thanked. And so he says, if you'll give me thanks, you'll bring me honor. And so, uh, anything that will bring God honor, we want to do that. See, when you worship God, you appreciate him. You adore him. Now, if you're a good atheist, one thing about you, you have no one to give thanks to but yourself. You see, an atheist has no one outside of himself to thank for anything in his life because he is the source of all of his blessings. But you and I know there's another. There is the one that's out there. He is the one. I, I heard the story of a man, and I know the man, that... Uh, was telling someone one time, someone said, God has really blessed you, really has blessed you a lot. It's kind of like the folks who came by and saw the farmer's well-cultivated field and saw the crops and everything. They said, boy, look what God's given you. And they made this remark, you should have seen it when God had it by himself. 
God didn't plant that seed. He didn't plow those rows. I did. I'm kind of afraid of that kind of statement for me. And then I heard this man say, and I, was, I heard it quoted to me. Someone was complimenting his line of work and what he had. God's sure been good to you. Hey, God had nothing to do with it. I'm an outstanding craftsman. It didn't turn out too good. Let me tell you that. And so, when we get around a believer, should we hear bragamonies or testimonies? Are we bragging that we're so smart and, you know, God knows who to bless? If you could just see my IQ, you would know God's had pity on the ignorant. No, I've kind of earned this. I've kind of, wait, you owe me this healing. I'm a leper. You jump when I tell. No, no. There's no jumping. He didn't even come for the Samaritans that first trip to this earth. He came for the house of Israel. And he said it over and over. Samaritans were a half-breed people. They were anti-Judaism. They were anti the true God. They only accepted parts of the Old Testament. They were a half-breed nation. Great animosity. And Jesus said, I'm going beyond ethnic boundaries. I'm going beyond all propriety to heal you. We're not even to have any fellowship with not only Samaritans, but not with lepers at all. And the spoken word, as they went, they were healed. And all of a sudden, one man out of ten makes the trip back. He said, I couldn't go on without coming back to give God the glory for what just happened. How much glory are you giving God for what's happening in your life? Does God get credit for the good things or does he always get blamed for the negative things? I see folks who are always blaming God or never thanking God. And I hear a man say, he just got the word. The messenger just left his house and he claps his hands and said, let's get together. Get my wife. Let's get around here. Why? We're going to have a worship service. Ten of my kids were just killed. I've already lost my crops. I've already lost my flocks. And the next thing he doesn't know is my body is going to break out with boils from the crown of my head to the sole of my feet. And all of my friends are going to say, I've sinned to bring this calamity. I want to worship God. For God gave me those ten children. And God took those ten children. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How many of us would pass that test? Did you know that Job couldn't even turn on Swindoll to hear him preach? He didn't even own a copy of the Word of God. He wasn't even a Jew. We believe he was an Arab. He only had oral tradition that came down from Noah after the flood that even told him anything about there is a God out there that's not like the God your ancestors worship. He said, I want to worship God on the day I've lost everything. Thanksgiving is always appropriate. It's always appropriate. Why do we give thanks? We give thanks because it brings honor to God. And then, very simply, who do we lay our thanks? Whose feet do we lay it at? We thank God. We thank Jesus Christ. You see that in the epistles. And we thank you. And one of the great things, if you read the epistles, he's always thanking God for the saints. Kind of try that in your prayer life the next time. Instead of being mad at one of the saints, why don't you start thanking God for the saints? Do you ever thank God for the saints? Just read the epistles. 
I thank God. I mention you in my prayers with thanksgiving. It's over and over and over. You see, some of us are so blind to what God's provided that we don't know what we ought to be giving thanks for. It reminds me of the story of a man that had a uh, piece of land in South Africa. And uh, it was just a farm, seemed to be barren, did not yield too well. And, uh, but he had this wanderlust. He wanted to become rich. One day he sold that farm and that track of land and decided he would find, because Africa was famous for its diamonds, he was going to go find his treasure in the diamond mines of Africa. Eventually, the story tells us that he just walked himself in North Africa. He started walking into the Mediterranean Sea. He kept walking until he drowned himself. What well, is a true story, what is very interesting, what happened is the man who bought the land from him, they had kind of like a, a well they would walk to every day, and they walked on wooden planks. And as they walked there, they noticed the ground was exceptionally dark. Exceptionally dark. They brought in some geologists to take tests. And some of the largest oil reserves ever found in Africa, he was walking over every day, but he wanted diamonds. He never had a chance to look under his feet and see God gave him enough prosperity under his feet. And so Conwell wrote a little book called Acres of Diamonds that we're stumbling over every day. And when you tell a guy to be thankful, the first thing he says, for what? For what? When you have your eyes open, you almost want to say, for everything. Where I live, who beget me, my mother, my father, brothers, sisters, the saints, even you'll thank God for the ants once in a while. You'll you just be giving thanks all the time. So we give thanks to God because he gets honor. He is the focus. You know what? Let me just show you two verses. This is free. I just don't want to charge you for it. Two verses. Look at two verses and ask me who you ought to give thanks to. James 1.17. Verse 17. Every good and perfect wife is from, I mean, every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the lucky charm guess. Or you were born under the right star. No, no, it comes from who? Do you have any good gifts in your life? Any? Come on, I know it's hard on you. Do you have any good gifts? Do you have any perfect gifts? Did you know if you, just, if you just married right, you are in a category so far, you ought to be dancing every day that you married the right person. Can I get a witness? If you didn't marry the right person, you'll be quiet. I don't expect you to do a thing. Stay married though. Stay married. I didn't tell you to leave. But if you've got a woman or a man that you've been able to live with, raise a family with, God has been good to you. But it's work. And you need a lot of grace. That's most. I haven't needed that, really. She needed it. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change. That's just one promise. Everything good in your life, everything perfect, didn't come from your genes, your race, your ethnicity, your education. It came from the Father above. I just want to tell you where you're getting it from. You get it from Him, even if you don't know Jesus Christ. 
And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, our Thanksgiving edition. Thank you for joining us today. Our time together has come to a close here, but as we leave you, we'd like to do so with our address and phone number if you'd like to contact us, and we would love to hear from you. You see, Truth For Today airs here on KFAX in part through financial partnerships with our listeners, such as yourself. If the Lord is prompting you to make either a one-time gift or be a monthly donor, we would love to hear from you. No gift is too small. No gift is too large. Please take a moment and contact us at 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. And as our way of saying thank you for your partnership with us, we'll make you a TFT sustainer, which includes our quarterly newsletter, a once-a-year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional, into your email box every week. Again, it's all part of our TFT Sustainers Package. Contact us and learn more at 855-833-9864, or simply stop by our website, valleybible.org. And you can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. As you stop by our website, valleybible.org, please remember other resource materials are available there. Other series is taught by Pastor Phil, some of the books that he's authored. You can also find out about Valley Bible Church, who we are and what we believe, how to get here, times that we worship, and you're more than welcome to join us. Again, you'll find it all at valleybible.org. And again, from all of us here at Truth For Today, may the Lord's blessings be yours in abundance as you are reminded to thank Him and be thankful in all that you do and say on this Thanksgiving day and every day of the year. Until next time, God bless. God bless.